0: any news editor what kind of headline generates the most interest and gets the most hits and they'll tell you sex royalty and religion and if you could find a way to combine all three even better so princess has secret affair is good But a royal king's wild night with a nun is even better. (laughs) And so when Dr. Luke recorded the history of a virgin having a baby who would be king of the world forever. It caused people to react the same way they do today. Reading into the passage things that are not there and failing to notice some of the most important things that are. So turn with me in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. And you follow along as I begin reading in verse 26. Luke chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin. Betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said... He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, how how will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. In those days Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. That baby is John the Baptist yet to be born. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. From the Lord. Now, you've probably heard this passage read in a Christmas service at some point in your life. But what I want you to understand is that what we have in our passage today is the essential message of Christianity, not just some inspirational thoughts for Christmas time. Because this passage brings into focus the person of Jesus Christ. And points towards the very reason for which he came into this world. In other words, before we get out of chapter 1, Luke is introducing us to the good news of the gospel by bringing us face to face with who Jesus is and what he came to do. And so that's the question I want us to answer today. Why is the birth of Jesus such good news for us today? Why is this not just some historical event that took place centuries ago that's unrelated to life today? Or worse yet, why is this not just some myth or story that would inspire you? Why does it matter in 2020? What does this have to do with us? Why is the birth of Jesus such good news for us today? Here's my first reason, number one. Oh, my goodness, this is good news for us because you need a savior. I need a savior, not just someone to assist you and not just a spiritual booster shot of some sorts, because our spiritual condition is far, far worse than that. Look at verse 31 again. You shall call his name, say it, Jesus. Jesus. The word Jesus actually means God saves or God Rescues, Which is why Matthew in his gospel tells us in Matthew 121, call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Oh, Jesus came into our world to save us. And that is so different from every other religion that is out there. The founder of every other religion, the founder of every other religion says... I am here to tell you how you can save yourself. Basically what you need to do to save yourself, to get to another level, to be pleasing to God, to earn in some way life. But Christianity, but in Christianity, God takes on flesh and comes into this world not to tell us what to do, but to do. For us what we can never do for ourselves there's no other religion like this you see Jesus came into this world to live the only perfect obedient life fully keeping all of God's commands you hear people say from time to time and I'm grateful for it it makes for a better society oh I try to keep what the ten commandments I've never had anybody yet said oh I keep the Ten Commandments, all of them, perfectly. Well, I take that back. Last, I had a lady two weeks ago said, I haven't sinned in a year. I said, you just did. You just lied. <laughs> so every now and then you run into, but in general, nobody says, oh, I'm doing it perfectly. They say, I try to keep the Ten Commandments and they usually think my trying hard enough, even though I don't do it perfectly, will get me in. Jesus Came into this world not to try. That's why God the Father, more than once in the Gospels, you see, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. He did it. He did it. He lived the only obedient, perfect life, fully keeping God's commands. And then he took on flesh to suffer in our place and die on the cross in payment for our sins, not his own. There had to be a payment made. God could not just wink at sin and say, oh, never mind. Come on in. A payment had to be made. It had to be a perfect, sinless, holy payment. And Jesus did that for us so that we could be forgiven and made right with the God of the universe. That's what sets Christianity apart from every other religion. Muhammad, Buddha, Confucius. And so many others all founded some sort of religion. None of them ever claimed to be a savior. None of them ever claimed to be a savior. They all claimed to know the way you could to some degree achieve for yourself salvation. They all pointed the way. They all told you what the way is. Jesus didn't say, let me show you the way. Let me throw some light on the way. Let me get you going on the right path. Jesus said, I am. Say it. The truth. The life. No one comes onto the Father but by me. Christianity is all about a person. Jesus. Every other religion is about a path. Do this. There's the way. There's the way. There's the way. There's the way. I'm a sage that tells you the way. But you got to do it. At the end of the day, it's you that does it. Think about it. Buddhism tells us that our personal and global problems. You got any awareness of personal and global problems today? Oh, my goodness. 2020, if you were ever that person who's trying to say, Oh, people are basically good. Oh, they're really good. Give them enough time and see how good they are. We have had a year that shows people are heinous, hateful, evil, sinful, selfish, wicked. At least we settled that. We, we're not clear on the solution yet, but, but that's it for all. Oh, people are basically good and nice and they'll play nice if we give them the right environment. No. So Buddhism says, oh my goodness, our personal and global problems are all caused... By our innate desire to advance ourselves, enhance ourselves, and get more. All the groping, grasping, conflict, and war is the result of this innate desire that drives us. Great assessment. The Bible has a word for that mess. I want to advance me, enhance me more. I don't care what it does to you. It's called sin. Sin. So, Buddhism does a great job describing the problem. But the solution they give is that you, we need each person to quench that desire. You have to fight hard and kill that desire, quench that desire, snuff out that desire. In fact, according to the holy books, the last words of Buddha to his disciples before he died were, quote... Strive without ceasing. You can overcome this self-centeredness, which is the cause of our problems. End quote. You think so? You might be young enough and unaware of your own sinfulness enough to think, yeah, yeah, I think. Head down that path. Let me know how that goes. What you will run into is you'll find that, oh my goodness. No matter how hard I try, this is not just something I do. This is who I am. This sin is innate within me. It's inherent within me. It is me. I can't snuff it out altogether. I cannot kill this. I cannot kill this. I cannot kill this in my own power, with my own resources. If you were to be honest, there are moments where, right, you're shocked by you. That's me right now talking to them, doing that. You're shocked by some of your own behavior at times. What's going on? You're worse than you actually imagine. We tend to think better thoughts of ourselves than what's true. And every now and then we have occasions to be startled about it. The assessment's true. The solution is impossible. You won't be able to do it. What about Hinduism? It's basically the same advice, only it's more pessimistic. Because it's still you going after that sinful self-centeredness and trying to put it to death. But oh, if you don't achieve it in the first life, you get to come back again over and over and over having another chance to do better. In other words, reincarnate, you know, if you if you're here today and you think. You're young enough that you think karma's cool and reincarnation. Whoa. Here's what reincarnation is about in Hinduism. It's an endless cycle of coming back to try to do better than you did before. An endless cycle. You pay in the next life for what you did or did not do in the last. That sounds like hell to me, not heaven. To be trapped in an endless cycle of now you get to try again. Now you get to come back and try to do it again. And you can't. You can't. You can't. You can't. There's Hinduism. And it's you at the center of this cycle trying to do better. Trying to put this thing to death. What about Islam? Islam. Well, at least with Islam, you have a religion that talks about mercy. Because at the heading of every chapter in their holy book, the Quran, is the word merciful. Good. Problem? If you dig on into the chapter, you'll find that Allah is only merciful to the person who prays enough. Or gives enough. Or e- obeys fully enough. In other words, Allah is only merciful To the person who performs most effectively. You do what you're supposed to do. You get mercy. If not, you don't. And so it's still all about you working hard to please God, to earn favor, to save yourself. So get this. I know we live in a very pluralistic world. Options, options, options. It's very uncool to ever say, oh, there's only one way. There's only one solution. Pluralistic world with all kinds of different options and religious choices. But here's what I want you to understand. At the end of the day, when you really poke at all other religions, you are not making a choice between Christianity and Jesus and every other religion. At the end of the day, you are making a choice between Jesus being your savior or you trying to save yourself. All other religions, though the particulars may vary, are all about boxes you check, hoops you jump through, a list, a system. It's someone who founded it and said, here's what you need to do. Only Christianity says, here's what's been done for you will you believe do you hear the difference do done you Jesus Christianity is about a person every other religion is about a path a path a path a path a path and so here's the problem though with Christianity here's what here's where the rub is Christianity then becomes the most realistic of all religions, but it sounds the most pessimistic because Christianity is the only one that recognizes the depth of our sinfulness is the, to the extent that we cannot just do better. You could never keep the Ten Commandments. You will not make endless progress somewhere better. That's how bad you are. So it's got some of the worst news. And some of the best news. This is how bad you are. It requires a savior. And this is what God did. He gave you one. The sticking point is we just keep thinking, I'm not that bad. I'm not that bad. I'm not like. And we point to someone that we think is worse. You've got to be willing to say, oh, no, I'm bad. And I don't mean like Michael Jackson kind of bad. I mean bad. I'm bad through and through. I'm worse than I ever imagined. (gasps) But what God has done for me is better than I could have ever imagined. Do you mean God himself took on flesh and came to solve my problem? Yes. Yes. That's Christianity. The birth of Jesus is such good news because you need a savior. To save you, I need a savior, not just someone to assist me, point the way, inform me. Every other religion, if you think about it, they inform you what you need to do. Only Christianity has a savior to save you and transform you from the inside out. Radically different. Number two, let me give you another reason that the birth of Jesus is such good news you need a king. To reign over you. I need a king to reign over me. Because we could never create justice and equity in this world. Ever. Ever, ever, ever. It's not going to happen. We need a king. And so even though this baby arrived in a humble setting of a manger in a stable. Yes, that's the Christmas story. That's his original arrival. Don't make a mistake. Make no mistake about it. This baby came to be king came to be king the angel gabriel makes that absolutely clear by using three words in our passage three words that highlight the fact that he came to rule this world and be a king not just scatter not just scatter some inspirational thoughts around palestine and do a bit of good while he was here oh no 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 he came to be king His first arrival inaugurated his kingdom. Came to be king. Look at it in verses 32 to 33 again. God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Look at me. Throne. Reign. Kingdom. And what kind of kingdom? Look at the end of the verse. And of his kingdom there will be, say it. Oh, say it again. No end. Why does it say there will be no end to his kingdom? Let me tell you why. Because there will be no end to him. There'll be no end to him. So there's no end to his kingdom. The same baby Jesus, whose kingdom was inaugurated when he first came into this world, is alive today and coming back. He's alive today and coming back. And when he does, oh, get this. No one will miss it this time. You know, a handful of shepherds and some wise men picked out a star. And it's not going to be like that, you guys. No one will miss it. This time he will split the sky from the east to the west and he will come back as king of kings and lord of lords. And he will return to judge the world and to punish everyone who has refused to repent and believe in the good news of this free offer of the gospel of salvation. You're like, wait a minute, Brad, you're making me uncomfortable. Like, I, I allow for a God, but when I think about it, just please say he's love. He's love. He's love. He's love. He's love. Is God love? You don't know anyone more loving. And apart from God being love, there would be no love in this world. So when you think love, don't think my grandma. I don't know how sweet she was, but her love only exists because there is a God of love. Oh, he is love. But my friend, he is not Only love. He's holy. He's just. He's holy. He's just. He's love. He's wise. He cannot compromise his nature. And therefore, when he sent his son into this world, when Jesus hung on that cross, Jesus absorbed and drank the wrath. He's a God of wrath. Yes, love and wrath. In that moment on the cross, you see God's love because he's giving his son for you. That's how much he loves you. And you see God's wrath because he's punishing his son for you in your place. Don't just think love, you guys. Either, Either you put your trust in Jesus who drank the cup of God's wrath in your place or you will experience God's wrath For yourself. And that's why. John in his. Final book in Revelation 19. Talks about King Jesus. So differently than Luke is talking about in Luke chapter 1. Oh he's king. But John pulls back the curtain. And gives us a sneak peek of what's coming. Not what we hope will happen you guys. What is Coming, all the prophecies all through the Old Testament for hundreds of years said he was coming the first time. And he did, just like they declared. Born just where they said he would be. Doing just what they said he would do. So here's what you need to realize. Everything yet ahead is going to happen like everything in the past happened according to God's word. He is coming back. But he's coming back as king of kings. He's not arriving in a little manger in a stable as a baby. He is coming back to judge this world. He, often you hear people say, why hasn't God done something about all this wickedness? Why isn't God doing something? What? Let me help you. Because he's love, he delays his return this is mercy and grace right now, so that more might believe, so that more might repent, so that more might accept the free offer of the gospel. You ought to thank God he hasn't returned yet. You get so upset about why isn't he? He has done something about the evil in this world. He sent his son to die and rise again. And he's going to do something yet fully when he comes back to make all things right. But we tend to think of evil as this thing out there somewhere with some people that are certainly not me. When he comes back to judge evil, he will be coming back to judge people who are doing evil. And people who have not repented and believed and accepted the free offer of this good news of the gospel. And so turn with me and your Bibles to Revelation 19. I want you to see it for yourself. Oh my goodness, when he comes back as king, it's going to look very different than Luke 1. Revelation 19, beginning in verse 11. Now I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on him was called faithful and true. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. When he came the first time, he was prince of peace. He told his disciples, hey, don't pick up a sword. When he comes back, He's coming to make war against evil and unbelievers. And he's coming with a sword, sword, sword. His eyes were like a flame of fire and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood and his name is called the word of God. Remember John in his gospel at the beginning? Chapter one, in the beginning was the and the word was with God and the word was God. The living word is coming back. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword that with his, it sh- he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of almighty God And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written. Say it with me. King of kings and Lord of lords. And so listen to me. Here's what I want you to realize today. The most important question you could wrestle with today. 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 Today is the day of salvation, you guys. Today you have opportunity to repent And receive forgiveness and eternal life. So, here's the most important question you could be wrestling with is not who you're gonna vote for next month in the presidential election. Don't hear me saying don't vote, please do. Please pray, think, read, study, vote. But it's not the most important decision you need to be making right now. Here's the most important decision when will you bow? Before King Jesus. And let me help you if you're pushing back. It's not a question of if. Well, I don't know if I will. I'm still thinking about that. I'm not sure who he is, if I believe any of that. Let me help you. It's not if, it's when. Because you will bow. You can either bow before him now and find him as your Savior. Or you will bow before him on that day and face him as your judge. Because Philippians chapter 2 says, Every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Why? Because it's true. Every human being will then know and will speak the truth. Is everybody getting saved? Is it universalism? No. They will speak the truth, but for millions it will not save them. It will be too late. Today you can bow today and find him as a savior. Or you will bow on that day and face him as a judge. You just think every single person, Trump will bow. Biden will bow. Nancy Pelosi will bow. Mick Jagger will bow. Paul McCartney will bow. I mean, it's just a mind-blowing thought when you think of people with power and people who make decisions and people who've had so many opportunities and they're such a big deal to us. Every knee will bow. It's just a question of when. When. When will you bow before King Jesus? Now... If you're sitting there thinking, and I know human nature is like, oh, this sounds oppressive. We're talking king. We're talking bow. Sounds like I'll be oppressed and my life will be limited. Oh, listen, let me help you, help you, help you, help you. It's only after you submit to King Jesus and start living for the glory of his kingdom instead of your own, that you start to experience joy and peace And a sense of purpose like you never thought possible. Because let me help you. There's nothing more freeing than being set free from fighting for the little kingdom of self. It's exhausting. Oh, when you're free to live for something bigger... To live for someone greater than yourself. You're free to live for something bigger. And an agenda other than your own. You then begin to experience joy. And peace. And purpose. And that thing that you thought. What am I really here for? What am I here for? What am I here for? Don't hear me saying. You don't have troubles. You don't have sorrows. You don't have struggles. But you don't have questions about. Why do I exist? Is it just to do widgets on this assembly line? Is it just to have some kids, raise some kids? Is it just to go to the next bigger house? Is it just to save for that vacation? It all becomes answered to you. Oh no, I was created in his image for his glory and I get to start living that way Now. now, 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 now. You need a savior. I need a savior. You need a king. Well, let me give you another reason that the birth of Jesus is such good news. Number three, you need a God who comes down to you, not just a God who shouts at you from above and commands you to do better. You need a God who comes down to you. And that's exactly what God did for us when he took on flesh. Look at verse 35. And the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy the son of god two times in our passage god is called the most high it's in verse 32 it's in verse 35 the most high so here's what i want you to think about the most high became the most low When he took on flesh and was born into this world as a baby. No other religion like that. Don't say all religions are the same. You make a foolish statement when you say that. They're not the same. Only Christianity gives you a God who comes down to us. When you find yourself thinking, does he know how hard this is? Does he know what I'm going through? I wish he knew what this is like. I wish when I prayed, I was praying to someone who gets it with christianity that's you've got all that and more he gets it he was tempted and suffered in all ways like us friends betrayed him he went through everything we go through and more when you pray to god through jesus christ you are talking to someone who gets it he came down to us Us. Us. And so that's why it's utter nonsense when you hear people say, oh, all religions are the same. So I'm having nothing to do with any of them. As a thinking human being created in the image of God, you have every right to reject Christianity. But don't do it on the basis of saying all religions are the same. Because they're not. Do it after you've examined Christianity. Do it after you've read the original documents. Do it after you've dug into the resurrection. Do do it after you've examined the historicity of so much that Christianity rests on. Feel free to reject Christianity. That's your right as a person created in the image of God. But do not do it on the basis of saying, oh, all religions are the same. They're not. Only Christianity has a God who comes Down to us. Every other religion is a system or a list of what you need to do. Every other religion compels you to travel hundreds of miles and kiss some statue, compelling you to walk across a wilderness and bathe in a sacred river, compelling you to crawl on your hands and knees up some special staircase. I've watched it happen in the city of Rome. To compel you to at some point in your life make it to Mecca. This is required. you got to do it. Or to compel you to burn candles, light incense, give enough money, pray enough prayers. Only Christianity. Now listen, I'm going to say this carefully. Only Christianity, real Christianity that has not been distorted and turned into dead religion. Now, the reason I'm saying that is you may have grown up in a church that is considered Christian. Do you know what the human heart does? The human heart is so bent on self that you can take real Christianity and you can turn it and twist it and alter it to where now you have a dead religion all over again. I won't name names. It happens in all kinds of churches where the good news of the gospel is lost. Jesus is still being talked about, but he's not your savior The Ten Commandments are still being talked about, but you're being pointed to them as if you need to do them, do them, do them. I hear people talk about, I grew up, I just felt guilty all the time, guilty all the time, guilty all the time. Yes, you will. If someone isn't pointing you to a savior who did for you what you could never do for yourself, only real Christianity that has not been distorted and turned into dead religion. Religion has no compulsory pilgrimage, no hoops to jump through, no boxes to check, because the pilgrimage has already been made. God came down to us to save us through his son, Jesus Christ. Everything that's needed to be done has been done. It's done. It's done. And it's not partial. He did his part. Now you got to do your part. And when these two things meet, cha-ching! We still play around and do stuff like that. That's why the Bible doesn't say you're sick spiritually. You are. What do dead people do? In the words of Princess Bride, not just partially dead. (laughs) Fully dead. Fully dead. Dead. Nothing. You can't do nothing. Nothing. Jesus left heaven, took on flesh, and came all the way down into our dark, broken world to save dead, stone-cold, lights-out men and women who could do nothing for themselves. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Hallelujah, what a Savior. That's Christianity, which is unlike any other religion. So, I want you to realize why this matters so much is because number four, you need a peace. You need a peace that will transform you from the inside out. Look at verse 45 again, because I want you to notice what Elizabeth says to Mary. Verse 45 And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her. I don't think that blessing is aimed at the Virgin Mary alone. I think Luke put that there for us. Us. As mind-boggling and earth-shattering as it is, if you believe the good news of who Jesus is, the God-man, fully God, fully man, and what he did for you, died on the cross for your sins in payment for your sins, not his own, and rose again proving he has victory over death and sin and Satan and hell, you, you, will be blessed. But even as I say that word, I know it falls flat on most of you because in our English language, this word blessed is just so limp and vacuous. When we use it, we usually mean just like a word of encouragement or a bit of luck that I stumbled in. Oh, we're blessed. We found the house we're looking for. Blessed. It's a sad little word in our culture. So let me help you. In both the Old Testament and the New Testament, the original language of Hebrew and Greek, this word blessed means so much more. It conveys the idea of shalom. And when Jews speak of that, that's more than a, a little bit of peace sprinkled on you. It's a wholeness, a wholeness. I'm made whole. I'm made whole on every level. Everything's different. There is a peace. Peace. That infiltrates all of my person, my mind, my thinking, my soul, my heart, my being. Shalom. For the first time I have peace with myself. And I have peace with God. And can begin to try to have peace on a horizontal level with other people. Blessed. Blessed. It it conveys the idea of bringing you back to fully functioning human beings you realize apart from Jesus Christ, you are dysfunctional. Our world has that category as if there's just certain people. Put yourself in there. Apart from Jesus Christ and a relationship with him, we are all less than fully functioning human beings. Because we were made in the image of God to actually desperately need a relationship with our creator God through his son Jesus Christ. So that until you have that, you are not a fully functioning Human being, if you, if you have the sense, something's not right, something's not right. I'm missing something. Yeah, you are. It's not a cute boyfriend. It's not an amazing girlfriend. It's not the job of your dreams. It's not to travel Europe. You're missing Jesus. He's not optional. He's essential. You only begin to function fully when you're in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Oh, you can keep on living. You can keep on living but you're just a dead man walking, a dead woman walking, because you're just a shell and a shadow of who you should be, of who He designed you to be. Because when you come into the shalom, the blessing of believing Jesus is who He says He is, and knowing Him all, you only then come alive and begin to thrive in ways you never thought possible because here's the deal you get a whole new identity and for the first time you see reality because all of life is framed up against eternity i get so tired of hearing people every now and then make a comment like oh yeah we went to church and and as if this time this worship when we sang is he going to dwell with us again Is the light able to penetrate the darkness like where we're just retreating and we have the land of make-believe for an hour just to encourage us to go back into the real world? So don't ever say this to me again at the door. Well, now, Pastor, we got to go back into the real world. Well, now I've got to punch you in the face. That's what I've got to do because you just came into the real world. We come here to be reminded what is real that Fox News isn't going to tell you and take it with you back out into that broken world. You only begin to see reality after you know Jesus. And we don't retreat. So it's why why you don't stay here and I'm not fixing you oatmeal in the morning. We're not staying here. You come here and you're like, oh, that's right. That's right. That's right, and we go back into this broken, dark world that's groaning to be salt and to be light and to see more than everybody else is seeing and to have an identity that's not attached to my vocation that can be taken away like that or an identity that's attached to my children that can be taken like that or could break my heart or an identity that's attached to my best friend that could disappoint me. I am now in Christ and he never changes and he'll never leave me or forsake me. That's Christianity. That's so different than every other religion. And that's why it's not an overstatement to call it good news. Oh my goodness, this is the best news that you could hear. And so as I close, I want to talk to those of you who might still be thinking about Christianity. I'm so glad I've been learning during COVID. I I didn't think this was a fun year. But some things I do appreciate is how many people have told me I got extended family members. I've got friends. I've got coworkers that have been joining me to watch online who would never come to church. You may be sitting here. You may be watching online. And I want to talk to you if you're still thinking about Christianity and wrestling with what it means to believe. We just used that word a number of times. She believed. Blessed is she who believes the word that was spoken. What are we talking about? You see that word believe in the Greek is the word pistuo. And it does not simply mean intellectual assent. I believe, yeah, there's some kind of guy named Jesus, and he lived, I believe. The word pestuo means to commit yourself, to rely on someone else, to trust in something or someone else. And so as we talk about this word faith or believe, I want to correct something that I hear from time to time. And maybe you've said it. I wish I had faith like you. But I don't. Here's what you're actually saying. When you say that, you're basically saying this thing called faith just hasn't hit me yet. It just hasn't hit me. And until it does, I'll respect you for your faith. But I just don't have what you have. That sounds nice. It's just not true. It's not true. Every human being has faith. It's just where are you placing it? You might be trusting in yourself. You may have grown up in an alcoholic home or a a home of poverty to the degree that you said... I will never trust anyone again. I will just do it. I will just do it. You can be trusting in yourself. You can be trusting in another person, another cause, another idea. You are trusting in something. You're exercising faith and you're placing your hope somewhere. Because guess what? Human beings are not aardvarks, golden retrievers, or houseplants. You can't live without hope any longer than you can live without oxygen. So you are saying something to yourself to keep moving forward. You're placing your hope somewhere and you're putting your trust in someone, even if it's just yourself. And so I'm here to tell you, I'm asking you today not, oh, please ask God to give you this amazing kind of faith that Christians have. And it just hasn't hit you yet. And I hope it hits you soon. You guys. Faith is not some kind of feeling you wait for. And it doesn't just hit you. It starts with thinking And wrestling. And reading. As you consider who Jesus is. And what he's done for us. And then based on your wrestling. And reading and thinking. You make a choice. To submit your will. To a higher will. And to put your trust. In Jesus. Instead of. Where you've been. Putting it. Come to Jesus today. You know enough. You've heard enough. You just need to bow your will and say, Yes, Lord Jesus. I believe that you are who you say you are and that you did what the scriptures testify. I need a savior. I need mercy. I need rescue. I want to ask you to bow your head as we close. And if you'd like to become a Christian today, you can do that. You don't have to dump a ton of money in the offering box at the back. You don't have to sign a card. You don't have to join that baptism class because baptism does not save you. It is the first public step of obedience saying, I've been saved. I have been saved. I have been changed by Jesus. And I want everyone to know, you don't have to get baptized. You don't have to give money. You don't sign a card. You don't walk this aisle. You don't shake my hand. Right where you sit, God sees your heart. Simply pray, oh God, I am worse than I'd like to think I am. I am a sinner in need of a savior. I could never keep the Ten Commandments. I could never be good enough. I could never earn your favor. But you sent your son to do for me what I could not do. I believe. As in I put my trust now in Jesus. I rely on him. I commit myself to him. Come into my life. Take over. Rule. Reign. Lead. Fill me. Give me that new identity. And help me to see reality. Reality for the first time.